This is Fusion Music Radio's Birds of a Feather. And what are we? Well, we are an indie music-focused show rife with witty, fuck-laden, insanely interesting, and unhinged banter. Our fascinating fun features and thematic song submissions will confuse, infuse, and, we believe, delight you. Now, who am I? I'm Christina Baldwin. But who am I really? Well, I'm your friendly, nowhere-in-your-neighborhood, foul-mouthed smartass that is either mildly or wildly interesting. You be the judge, and of course, the vocalist for the dark rock band Descent. And I'm Professor B. Soup, a bitter old man consumed with loathing and disgust for everything and everybody. So that takes us right into bird banter, which is... you don't even question that. I have many, (laughs) many questions. Okay. Oh, we forgot to mention that we are coming to you from both studios again. It's our third... <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm not supposed to say it. You're, you're being a total pro and pointing the signal, the fierce face <laughs> and the finger... You told me ...that to. I told you <laughs> that we agreed upon. There's no patriarchy here. We agreed upon <laughs> that was the <laughs> signal, which is really funny to see. And that means I'm moving away from the mic. I said, do this, uh, and I'll know. It's distinct from everything else. That I, I'm supposed to get back to the mic. And she just did it, and it's friggin' hilarious. She's been a total pro doing it silently, but I'm laughing. So Ordinarily, it would be her laughing. And I'm glad to see at least that she's got a fairly sizable container of nitrous because I feel particularly unfunny tonight. Oh, God. Well, where's your nitrous? I'm always unfunny. <laughs> the uh, oh, of course, uh, it, the whole idea of Christina doing nitrous or any drugs is funny because honestly, for a rock singer, besides the potty mouth, she is such a goody two shoes. So, uh, <laughs> and, and I'm no different, of course, of course, of course, no, of course. Of course, of course. We're, we're similar uh, in every way. You know, I'm normally love and flowers and peace and all of that, but this time we're going to go hate. So I'm going to talk about some of the most hated bands, and we're going to find out where you are, where you land, what do you think of these bands. And of course, I'm going to give you my opinion, because that's part of the show. So number one, Smash Mouth. Where do you stand on Smash Mouth? How do you feel about them? First of all, it's the worst name ever. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) It does kind of (laughs) suck. That doesn't help. (laughs) Now, however, I only know the one song, and I'm pretty 99% sure it's them, is uh, Rockstar or or All-Star. All-Star, right? Get your game on. Go. I like that song. I wouldn't want to hear a whole album of that kind of thing necessarily. It's kid music. The only song I know is good, so that's like 100%. Then I think you'll like them. They they, they don't all sound like that, do they? No, they're little variations, but I mean, it's, it's that... Sound. It's, it's kid music. It's kid music. It's good kid music. It there, is. There's it's, such it's a thing. It's nineties kid music. music. Yeah, no, it's fine. All right, I am okay with Smash Mouth. I don't hate them. Um, I don't love them. They're kind of middle of the road for me, so that's nice. So I'm kind of taking the Switzerland sort of approach. Uh, the next most hated band on the list. Nickelback, another unfortunate name. <laughs> what are we Actually, thinking? it's a very fortunate name because it gives me the opportunity to make this very obvious joke. Nickelback is what I would want if I paid five cents for one of their albums. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I'm sure that has never been said before, and if it has, it has never been said like that. Thanks. Thank so thank you. I am not a fan of Nickelback. 
like even when they first came out before it was cool to hate them I just wasn't in so I don't know that I hate them but I don't love them so I'm out I'm not into Nickelback again I'm kind of Switzerlandy aren't I Anyway, we're moving on to the Black Eyed well, Peas. Well, if hating them is cool, though, then that's kind of a bonus. So That's great. true. <laughs> that's true. Good point. Point well made. So the Black Eyed Peas, where do you stand on those? Not the food, the band. There's a lot of talent in that band. I mean, Fergie's actually a very good singer. Yes. And uh, no question about it. And they're, good, they're capable of good songs, Will I Am. The problem is, the first thing that comes to mind is my humps, and it is the most <laughs> abysmal piece of trash. My humps, my humps, my humps. The, the beautiful contours of a woman's body reduced to humps, lumps, and bumps. I mean, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's so tacky. It's not terribly good. However, I love some of their stuff, like uh, I Got a Feeling. I mean, they're they're good. Generally speaking, I think they're terrific. Okay. Yeah. I actually don't have an issue with the Black Eyed Peas. I actually find them pretty enjoyable. I don't know when it became fashionable to hate them, but it is. No, I uh, think they're cool. Yeah. I'm in. I like Fergie. I like all three of them. I like them together. I like their music. I don't know that I would have liked it had it come out today, but I certainly liked it at the time it came out, and I enjoy it now. That reminds me of a fantastic quote. You know what Bruce said this week? He said, I guess we're doomed forever to love the music that was our favorites when we were 13. You know, uh, In fact, we're going to talk about a very similar year later on, uh, You know, yeah. when I was around that age, but not quite. So, anyway. All right, and the next. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I was, that was the gesture. Yes, that was the gesture. <laughs> Remember, you can't use it for anything else. That was if the I'm gesture. Just being really no, annoying. That was the that, gesture. <laughs> we got to come up with another gesture. That is though. not what was happening. That was. Okay. You turn your face away. Damn okay, it. Yeah. Well, I'm used to having a headset, folks. Yes, I'm sorry. I know. Right, and you're just right, but we are one yeah. directional, yeah. not be, not the band. Uh, so the next. Didn't we hear them tonight? One I direction? think we did actually. We did, yeah. But, uh, uh, not, you know, not bad song once in a million times, you know. Right. Well, uh, and we didn't not by choice either. Oh, be- that's what makes you beautiful. I like the yeah. message, and it is not a bad song. Really. Uh, one it, Direction isn't horrible. Yeah, I mean, but, but it, they it, are not on the most hated band list. We're we're deviating. No, in forty years, uh, we're not going to be into that. You know? Oh, I'm we're not, not going to. That nothing. They won't survive to that degree. No, it certainly won't. Yeah. Sorry, <laughs> I knew I did it, <laughs> and I saw and I saw the gesture because I knew it was coming because she's on she's on it. Okay, trying to help out, but every time it's it's going to cause a conversation because it's too funny. She's such a pro. I mean, she's really on it. She's I mean, the way to keep the show on track because God knows what I'll do with it if she does. <laughs> well, just because you're used to the headset, but yeah. we're going a whole different direction. I could, no, we have to have gestures for everything because I do. Derail, I derail the show in dozens of ways, <laughs> oh, God. Oh, uh, God. including that that uh, laugh thing okay uh, no sorry carry on uh next is john mayer <laughs> i fucking hate john mayer <laughs> i don't know why but no, I'm i don't here. i don't know that i hate him i'm just kidding <laughs> i just i strongly <laughs> dislike john mayer i don't get it i don't get it i don't get that the body's a wonder you know your body is a, i don't care yeah, i'm just out i don't get it people love john mayer but i Apparently, he's on the most hated list as well, so I guess more people hate him than love him. Who knows? But I am definitely not a fan, and it sounds like you aren't either. No, but unfortunately, most hated bands' lists are going to contain bands that we love because people are people are jagoffs a lot of them have shitty taste so, as we will see in fact very very soon because who's next on the list you two a band we love a band, a band we that's love awesome. it's <laughs> my fate it's actually my favorite band so it's uh 
I get that they're most hated, but one of the things that I noticed is the reason they're considered most hated, you know why? Because of the fucking free album they gave everybody. That caused everyone to go into a hate storm. They just decided they hated them because they tried to give them something for free. It totally ruins your life when someone, totally. gives, you a free, when someone gives you a free album. I mean, it's over. Yeah, you know? I mean, if you, you are embittered forever. Yeah. If you can't figure out how to delete it, I guess that's just, you're why just going you to a blind I'm, rage. Why do you think I'm the bitter old man I told you I was before? It's because of that. Because of the damn U2 album. Well, it's nice of you to still like them <laughs> considering they ruined your life. Yeah. They're just that good. <laughs> so I do not hate U2. I do not. No. Uh, me? No. Absolutely. I love U2. Now, so, the next band on the Unfortunately... Okay. Well, the next band is the Dave Matthews Band. And I actually am a huge fan of Dave Matthews. Now... I will say, if I heard them now, I'm not sure. But at that time in the 90s, it felt like a fresh sound right along with uh, Blues Traveler to me. Like, Mm. I felt like these two bands really kind of defined the 90s sound for me of what was different. And I really, really loved it. And I still love those songs. I still love the amazing, amazing musicians, really incredible musicians. So I do not hate Dave Matthews Band. Well, I don't know, for some reason, why I have the idea that I just don't like them. I must have heard some of this stuff and decided, but I can't. It wasn't even memorable enough, I don't think. I, maybe I, maybe they are good. I really wouldn't know. So, you're, uh, you're yeah, not I'm in. Not, uh, I'm not a fan that I know of, but to be fair, and you know I'm always fair. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, I will give him more of a listen, uh, as, uh, as was the case with something else we'll talk about later. But yeah, no, he's, uh, I'm not interested, put it that way, but uh, they're, maybe they're good. I wouldn't know. Well, I do, and they are. So the next most hated band is Train. God. Sorry. <laughs> Wow, yeah. that was a visceral response. I, I, that's the type of thing that I just don't like. <laughs> I don't like that. I don't like that emo crap. I don't know. Um, I haven't heard anything of them that I like, but I don't know. They're not my deal. I am a Train fan. I love Train. Really? They're very positive. They're very light. I really love his voice. I mean, yes, they're very, very pop and very accessible, but who says that's bad? I actually really like them. Oh, no, that's not bad at all. So I'm into Train. So I think you need to give Train and Dave Matthews another try. Oh, I'm always. I always will, yeah. I'm first to admit. Now, there have been... Now, you've seen, I mean, curmudgeon and all. <laughs> even with the curmudgeon factor, still, I've been uh, hating on a lot of bands. I really didn't like Tool. I really didn't like Radiohead. Maybe I will like some more of these bands, and I'm definitely not going to... Uh, Write them off yet? I'll give them a fair listen. But there are some bands that, no matter how hard I try, God knows, they still sound like shit. So, okay. <laughs> oh However, um, so who's next? So the next band is Fish. How do you feel about Fish? Well, if it's the same Fish I'm thinking of, aren't they like the so like the spiritual successors to the Grateful Dead kind of thing? Yeah, yes. exactly. Yeah, okay. I'm not that familiar with them. They're probably really good. I never got seriously into the dead, although I did like them a lot. Uh, Fish, if this is anything like that, there's like a jam band, isn't it, or mm-hmm. something? Yeah, I probably would like that, but I'm, I'm just not familiar. There's so many things I just have uh, not really uh, gotten to that I've missed. So with Fish, am I missing anything? No, not my You don't opinion. think so either? No. no, I am not a Fish fan. I don't get it. I've tried to listen to them. It, they seem like they should be something that I'd be into. I just can't get into them. I don't get it. So um, I get that they're on this list. And uh, I get the people, I think you either love them or you hate them. So I think it's that way for a lot of bands on this list, sadly. The next band um, on the most hated list is Creed. Personally, I have always loathed Creed. 
because they commit the unpardonable sin. They sound like Pearl Jam. That's that's enough for me, okay? Oh, if no. you sound like Pearl Jam, I've got no use for you. So, yeah, Creed, no. No, nothing they could do. Honestly, no music can survive a really bad vocalist. There's so many bands I can't stand just because the guy on the mic sucks. And this is one of them. I don't like Creed. What about you? I actually like Creed. I tried oh. not to. Oh, sorry. And I tried not to uh, admit that I like them. They're like a guilty pleasure. But I did like Creed. And... I think it's certainly cheesy. I think it's certainly um, kind of silly. I think it's kind of uh, overdone. Uh, but I actually liked it. So, and I, but I actually like Pearl Jam. So you know, but I actually don't think they sound like Pearl Jam. But I get where that's coming from. But I'm a Creed fan. I like them. So next on the most hated list is Coldplay. I am almost entirely unfamiliar with Coldplay. I've heard a couple of songs. I've heard them described as Mope Rock. and <laughs> <laughs> Great name. Yeah, I, I want to be lumped into a genre like that. But um, I'm not into Mope Rock a lot, if that's what it is. I'm pretty much, un- thank you for the reminder, I'm pretty much unfamiliar with them. Um, I thought they were kind of average. I thought it was, I heard them and I thought, oh, it's one of those bands that I keep uh, hearing about everybody adores. And they just, when you finally get around to them, they're really pretty average. So, uh, no, I wasn't impressed with uh, what I know of Coldplay. Should I give them a good listen? What do you think? Well, Coldplay is a band that is kind of, for me, middle of the road. I I like them. I think they they put out some really great songs. And I don't know why they would say that it's mope rock, because it's actually, they have a lot of really sweet songs and kind of sort of positive songs. Like one of the songs that I really love is the song called Fix You. And it's so sweet and it's so moving and it it is more mellow for sure. Um, And maybe that's what it is, is it feels kind of a little mellow and kind of you know maybe like one note but i think the note that they have is good i remember when i first heard coldplay i thought they sounded a little like you too like they're trying to sound like you too so that kind of put me off but once i gave them their own listen i actually like coldplay all right so another band i really have to give a good listen to because i am willing i'm always willing to admit i don't want to say some bands are just beyond hope but I am uh, more than happy to give a fair a fair shake to any band. Now, uh, moving on to the next on the list, it's just like, what is the world coming to? What in the ELF is the world coming to when people would put this band on a list of most hated bands? Who am I talking about? Kiss. The Kiss. Uh, band everybody loves to hate as well. Um, so how do you feel about this band, David? Though me, as we've mentioned on previous shows, I am Kiss Army for life. Uh, un- I say it loud and proud. It is not a guilty pleasure. I love Kiss. And, uh, you know, a lot of people don't, I guess, but they're still on a sold-out world tour, or they were, and they're going to go back to one. So they're doing fine. Well, I am not a Kiss fan, but I don't hate Kiss. Um, and I think that Kiss certainly is beloved by many, many people, and I'm just not one of them. Now we are going to do what you hoped we were going to do, which is list our very own personal hate list. (laughs) So I certainly have a hate list. Some may surprise you. Some may not surprise you. So I will go first and then I will turn it over to you, David. So one of my most hated bands is Oasis. We discussed this last time. I am absolutely not a fan in any way. I don't get it. I don't understand it. I don't know how they have legions of fans. The next band is The Grateful Dead. I have never got it. And obviously the next one on that list is Fish. 
you're not going to like the next one, David. I'm not a Jimmy Buffett fan. I hate Jimmy Buffett. I don't get it. Probably from running karaoke for two years and people saying cheeseburger in paradise and I just wanted to kill myself the 400 times I had to hear it uh, screamed by drunk people. Um, and then I heard it done by the actual artist and I thought, mm, this song still sucks. So I'm not a Jimmy Buffett fan. I hate Sugar Ray and I hate Third Eye Blind. So those are some of the, the bands that I hate. I'm sure there are more. Those are the ones that came to the top of my mind when I put together this list. What about you? Wow, what a roster of bands that I know virtually nothing about. Uh, those, the, the, Most of the ones you just named. Uh, Jimmy Buffett, um, I... So you're not a parrot head, it's safe no. to say. Yeah. Mm-mm. Okay. I, I, he's good. He's a good songwriter. He's a good uh, performer. Everything's fine. But uh, am I drawn to him or really excited about him? No. When he comes on, it's a, oh, good, this is good. But I'm not going to seek him out or uh, put him on anywhere near a favorite list. Um, I don't dislike him, though. But uh, I'm going to make no effort to really hear him. I have a lot of other things I'd like to hear first. I will make efforts to change the channel. I, we do live in a strange time when the bar is set so low that Oasis could be a freaking super group. I mean, I, seriously. I mean, I'm completely lost. That one, saying. I don't get. I, I don't, don't get, get that it. One. Uh, maybe it's not low. Maybe it's just set like crooked. I have no idea. Something weird. <laughs> Something <laughs> something's wrong. Str- something's off, you know, in the universe. Uh, bands like Pearl Jam and Creed, as discussed earlier, they're definitely way up there. Maroon 5. I, <laughs> oh, no. I just can't find a place in my world for Maroon 5, you know. Uh, Sublime, sorry everybody, Sublime, uh, Alice in Chains, stuff like that. I mean, uh, this is music, it seems designed to drag you into a morass, uh, so I would, uh, I would definitely avoid all of those if, uh, were, if I had my druthers. And you do. I mean, I, I'm looking to be entertained, so it seems that the performers like the ones I just named and me are at cross purposes. <laughs> I don't want to be depressed. <laughs> I don't want to be made to suffer. I just want to have a good time, okay? <laughs> so, yes, those I would be avoiding, like the uh, proverbial plague. <laughs> well, so you've heard it here. Some of the most hated bands in the world we actually kind of like, and some of the bands you probably love we hate. So there it is. <laughs> That's how shit works on this show. So now we go to restate the theme and the top 10 details of this week, and this time it was Freebird Punk Rock. And I will tell you, we had some very, very kick-ass submissions come in this time. Lots of really, really great stuff that I cannot wait to share with you. And um, actually, we were both really excited when we came up with this particular uh, Freebird. We were like, yeah, punk rock, man. So I think, uh, David, you'd agree. We have some really great stuff for them this time. I mean, really good stuff. Yeah, just because we're very close, I feel I can say to you, if you ever propose Freebird rap, um, I quit. Okay. Oh. Uh, I'm just glad we had this little talk. Okay. Wow. This time, I'm awfully glad it's punk rock, yeah, bloody wankers, we hope you hate it. That's the first thing we think of with punk. I mean, when I think of, when I think of punk, punk, I think of you know, the snarl, like my punk song, uh, Stuff Your Face, the snarling cockney British, you know, snot nose. But in fact, it was founded, pretty much everybody agrees, in America, in New York City, by the one and only Ramones. Ramones. I recall reading in an interview one time, one of them, I believe it was Joey perhaps, or Johnny, said, 
Uh, we wanted to play the Beatles. We wanted to play Alice Cooper. <laughs> but, quote, we just couldn't figure them out, end quote. <laughs> that, makes the, that puts them in the same class as just about every band I've ever been in. But they did something different. The, the guitar of Johnny, the particular approach to playing what were essentially classic oldies. They showed us the punk that was already there, and we can see that in some of the covers that they did. Uh, straight covers, almost, with minus the amplification, or plus a little amplification, of oldies like Surfing Bird and Do You Want to Dance by Bobby Freeman. These were always punk songs, and they're just showing us what was there. The same way when the Tubes covered uh, the Beatles, I saw her standing there. The first song in the Beatles canon ever, and it's essentially, it's a classic punk song. Well, punk used to be, for many, many years, just an excellent form, uh, pretty much all around good, but now it's mixed half and half. There's some execrable horseshit out there, like Bowling for Soup and Blink-182, each of which, not to put too fine a point on it, Sucks a whole lot of ass. Sucks a whole lot of ass. Oh, I'm, channel- I'm telling you. But we, of course, are not going to play any of that. We are. We have found you some top shelf indie punk, and uh, we're going to give you ten unforgettable tracks tonight. So, punk. I have always loved punk from the very from the instant they identified it as such. The Ramones. I was in junior high when they, when they came out. And I've always loved it because it's fun, just because I love it. I don't give half a rat's ass about what people think music is supposed to be, what rock and roll is supposed to mean, or uh, it's about teenage angst, it's about rebellion. Well, if I ever had any teenage angst, and I don't recall any, I wouldn't be romanticizing it now or reliving it. It'd be like, it'd be something I would have forgotten. I'm old as dirt. <laughs> I wouldn't be doing that. I wouldn't be wasting my time. I wouldn't be listening to rock and roll. It's not why I do it. Um, and it's rebellion. I don't even believe in rebellion. Uh, so <laughs> I'm the last person who's <laughs> got to talk about rebellion. I just like the damn music. All this is is theater to me. It's a goof. That's why a guy can sing a song about being a cold, heartbreaking Lothario and then a weepy emo lover in the very next song because they're acting. Or sometimes in the same song, as in the case of the uh, Elvin Bishop group classic, Fooled Around and Fell in Love. We hear the narrator telling us both halves of the story. A uh, little trivia, the lead vocalist on that was Mickey Thomas, who would later go on to join Jefferson Starship, and later Starship, who would bring us that absolutely awesome song, We Built This City. I had to say that, Christina. I'm going to have to go throw up. Okay. I really of course, know. the lyrics are a little silly. The lyrics? The oh, everything. <laughs> the music is great. The okay. music, the video, the clothes, All right. the sound, the we everything. We know no bunch of acid-head hippie losers built San Francisco. You know? <laughs> Although I'd wager they built a few VD clinics by creating such a, des- a demand or something. <laughs> but we know, but we, we put that aside and just listen to the song. But anyway, but I digress, but that's the only way I know. Pat Boone, we really need an album on this one, okay, in a punk mood. <laughs> Gina is a punk rocker. I would love to hear these arranged. That was a, and I wanna be anarchy. I mean, come on. I would die. Anyway, <laughs> glad we're doing punk tonight. Bloody wankers, let's go. That was very well thought out for a both theme restatement. Wow. <laughs> Everything's a bloody essay question to me. <laughs> well, the- a high multiple choice, a bloody high. Air. 
All right, punk rock is exactly how the band that comes in at number 10 on our countdown, hailing from somewhere in California, Bullet Bumps, and a song called Labels, as in, we don't work for the record labels. You're going to love this song. (laughs) Enjoy. Bullet Bumps. No, I don't know what that means either. brings us to a brand new feature, No Egrets Albums We Love. That's probably one of those things Christina thought I wouldn't say, but <laughs> I'm saying it. It's another one. It's another one. He said, he ain't going to say He's this. He's not going to say it. He's not going to say this. You, throw it at me, Cookie. I'm going to say it, okay? <laughs> All right. For this new feature, did I mention it was a new feature? New feature, we share albums we love, why, and the indelible impact it had or has on our lives today. And what better way to start than with 1973's Diamond Dogs by David Bowie. Now I'm going to tell you first that I frankly and unabashedly admit to being the sort of dim bulb who doesn't get what most song lyrics are about. I mean, (laughs) I've said this many times. But in my defense, it in no way diminishes my enjoyment of them. Uh, in fact, it probably helps in many cases. You know. Also, in my defense, some artists are quite frank about their own uncertainty as to just what the hell they're on about. Unless said artist's lyrics are one-dimensional and concrete like mine. <laughs> Most will merely leave scraps of parchment suggesting a narrative but leaving one to assemble 
in whatever way they deem unorderly, uh, which probably all a writer can do is come up with something like that. Interestingly, that's how some songs come together in the most literal sense, as we'll see. And I remember this. As soon as she suggested this feature and Diamond Dogs, maybe the answer can be found in this case with a 2008 interview with David Bowie. Uh, in it, he described how often he comes up with interesting lyric lines by employing the cut-up writing technique used by postmodernist author William S. Burroughs in his controversial novel, Naked Lunch. And uh, that's not the only way Naked Lunch has impacted the music scene. The band named Steely Dan comes from this novel. So <laughs> There you go. You, everybody knows what I'm talking about. I don't need to spell it out for you kids here. Okay. Uh, cut up is a literary technique designed to add an element of chance to the creative process. Uh, taking finished lines of text, cutting into pieces, usually with just one or two, two words on each piece, and then rearrange them to create a brand new, uh, brand new text. And this can be traced back to the Dada. As David Bowie explained... You write a paragraph or two describing several subjects, creating a story ingredients list, I suppose, and then cut the sentences in four or five word sections, mix them up, and reconnect them. You can get some pretty interesting idea combinations like this. That explains a lot, and I figure doing it that way, it takes even more genius to make masterpieces like those on Diamond Dogs. You see... (laughs) To me, kids, you got to understand, you probably got this figured out. The 70s never ended as far in my life, yeah. and they never will. I, <laughs> I'm like a rock and roll Rambo, you know, like, the war's not over. You know? it's, it's still the 70s. You, just, you guys just think we moved on. You know? Now, you had recommended David Bowie's final album, Black Star, to me some time ago, uh, which I had not heard. Now, it couldn't have been that long because... I've only known you for nine months. As hard as that is to believe. It's bizarre. I mean, I, I could swear we've been razzing each other and giving each other shit from separate cribs in a daycare somewhere. Uh, you know. Truth. <laughs> it seems that way. It does. Except for that whole, you're dramatically younger than me thing. You, know? <laughs> uh, you, you recommended Black Star, which I hadn't heard, and I, I loved it. And then I told you, you had to hear Diamond Dogs. And recently, why don't you tell the peeps what happened before I get back to talk about the album? Well, yes, um, I mentioned it, and then all of a sudden, I recalled stopping at a garage sale years ago and buying almost every album by David Bowie that this particular person had for sale and they were in mint condition and one of them was Diamond Dogs and I had never listened to it you know really if you will cover to cover and that's what we did on that day we turned it on we listened to side one turned it over listened to side two and absolutely just kind of blown away it was like nothing i'd ever heard from bowie before and i told you i liked side two better um not that side one you know is is something to throw away but side two for some reason just took on a whole new life and i am so glad that you mentioned it so that i went and listened to it because there's so many albums i've listened to a million times right of bowie's this one i had never listened to all the way through and i just i fell in love with it Absolutely. Well, when I moved, uh, and you heard my mixtape, so you know, when I moved from the city to the suburbs around 11, 12, something like that, 13, one of the albums that made the biggest impression on me right away was this one. Kids were out there listening to stuff I had never heard, a lot of glam stuff like Kiss, and they were listening to, you know, Alice Cooper and David Bowie, and I'm like, what is all this, you know? Right. And uh, it was, you know, it was just a different time, it was a different experience for me. And Diamond Dogs is one of those albums that just hit me first. Now, we also had uh, Bowie's cover album pinups, but Diamond Dogs is probably my favorite Bowie album, and it's one of the handful of definitive albums of the 70s. 
And uh, it's remarkable in a number of ways. Well, I've, I've often said that David Bowie uh, is, you know, a renaissance man and pound for pound probably the most talented individual in the music scene. This album's remarkable in so many ways. Among them, the fact that David Bowie plays all the guitars, save for one song, and all the saxophones. The music is, by and large, eerie. The atmosphere, palpable. He takes you away with these lyrics, and half the time I can't even know exactly what he's talking about. But we're going to give you samples of each of these songs, lyric-wise, and every one of them is going to make an impression, and you're going to understand why I'm talking about this 47 years later. The album opens with a minute-long number called Future Legends. Uh, largely spoken word over some very creepy music, including a guitar playing the melody line of Bewitched, Bothered, and Bewildered. How strange is that? Mm. And uh, the voice, the vocal treatments on this are just chilling. And in the death, as the last few corpses lay rotting on the slimy thoroughfare, the shutters lifted in inches in temperance building high on Poacher's Hill, and red, mutant eyes gazed down on Hunger City. Yes, folks, that's how he opens the album. And uh, there's a lot of... Uh, <laughs> and he pours it on pretty thick before, the, before it's over with. But yes. uh, Future Legend ends with a hearty cry of, This ain't rock and roll, this is genocide. Okay, <laughs> of course, sure. sorry, my mistake, you know. It, 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 it kind of seemed like rock and roll to me, you know. All right, so thanks for clearing that up. Genocide. Remember, okay. we said that the artist is always right. The artist is always right. I was, uh, ge- I, I was close. Genocide, rock and roll. Very okay, close. very Same close. Thing. Okay, just Same barely thing. missed it. So we're into the title cut after that. A pretty straight-ahead mid-tempo rocker with some really freaky effects, though. In fact, freaky is probably a good word to summarize the whole sonic ambiance of Diamond Dogs, really. You're drawn into and are completely enveloped in the atmosphere of some dystopian future 11 years ahead for Bowie at the time, and 36 years past for us today. Yes, it is loosely based on George Orwell's 1984, at least in featuring the year and, of course, Big Brother. Now, the first song contains such lines as, As they pulled you out of the oxygen tent, you asked for the latest party, with your silicone hump and your 10-inch stump, dressed like a priest you was, Todd Browning's freak you was. I mean, it's just that kind of record, you know? (laughs) Crawling down the alley on your hands and knee, I'm sure you're not protected, for it's plain to see. The diamond dogs are poachers, and they hide behind trees. Hunt you to the ground, they will, mannequins with kill appeal. And yet it's kind of light, catchy, singable, classic rock and roll. It just has these awe-inspiring lyrics, that's all. And then we're taken into a trilogy of sorts, starting with Sweet Thing, which has kind of a mellow, downbeat kind of urban groove, and the narrator tells us it's safe in the city to love in a doorway. And he admits by singing, I'm scared and I'm lonely, so I'll break up my room and yawn, and I run to the center of things where the knowing one says... Boys, boys, it's a sweet thing. Because hope, boys, is a cheap thing. Cheap thing. Well, (laughs) when you least expect it, this wonderfully romantic interlude comes in. He sings, I'm glad that you're older than me. Makes me feel important and free. Does that make you smile? Isn't that me? It's just something so touching about that little interlude there. But then the candidate, part two, introduces sort of a new energy, a new force. I'll make you a deal like any other candidate. We'll pretend we're walking home because your future's at stake. My set is amazing. It even smells like a street. There's a bar at the end where I can meet you and your friends. 
uh, every line, whether you get it or not, paints the picture more vividly as the music gets even faster and louder, building until reaching critical mass with this. I guess we could cruise down one more time. With you by my side, it should be fine. We'll buy some drugs and watch a band, then jump in the river holding hands. And uh, then Bowie's howling saxophone floats us back down to Sweet Thing Reprise. And he asks, is it nice in your snowstorm, freezing your brain? Do you think that your face looks the same? Then let it be. It's all I ever wanted. It's a street with a deal and a taste. It's got claws. It's got me. It's got you. And uh, then a chopping, pulsing beat and feedback-drenched guitars ramp it up yet again, abruptly ending at Rebel Rebel? Yes, you probably know. <laughs> what, what? You, know, you probably know this seemingly incongruous teen anthem. You've got your mother in a whirl. She's not sure if you're a boy or a girl. Well, you know, if she doesn't know, shit. Does don't expect the kid to know. Okay, <laughs> mom, at least of all people, I don't know. You know. Um, you got your cue line and a handful of lewds. Hey, remember lewds? And <laughs> you want to be there when they count up the dudes. And I love your dress. You're a juvenile success because your face is a mess. I mean, it, somehow in the midst of this uh, nightmare world, uh, this song is exactly the break we need. Bowie's like, you know, let's not take this too seriously, folks. Uh, and he keeps it light for a little while with Rock and Roll With Me, which is not a rocker, actually. But it's a stirring ballad with a voice I'd love to borrow for a day so I could sing this song, okay? <laughs> it's sort of an anthemic feel to it anyway. When you rock and roll with me, the chorus goes, No one else I'd rather be. No one here can do it for me. I'm in tears again when you rock and roll with me. And I'm going to confess before the whole wide world, I'm in tears again every time I hear the damn song. Every time I hear Bowie's soaring, crying guitar on this track and his vocal. Okay. Then we're once again smack in the middle of Hunger City or wherever it is. And the time, 1984. We Are the Dead has an appropriately vaporous, downright ghostly atmosphere and production, for a while at least. And the lyric is kind of tender. One thing kind of touched me today. I looked at you and counted all the times we had laid, pressing our love through the night, knowing it's right, knowing it's right. Uh, now I'm hoping someone will care... Trusting someone will care, and, you know, it goes on like that for a while. Then the music becomes ominous, and he sings. But now... There goes the papers again. <laughs> Sorry. Talking about this, this ominous song, and I'm dropping my papers like friggin' Jerry Lewis here. <clears throat> but now we're today's scrambled creatures, locked in tomorrow's double feature. Heaven's on the pillow. Its silence competes with hell. It's a 24-hour service, guaranteed to make you tell. And the streets are full of press men bent on getting hung and buried. And the legendary curtains are drawn round baby bankrupt who sucks you while you're sleeping. It's the theater of financiers. Count them. Fifty round the table. White and dressed to kill. Wow. Wow. My and it goodness. ends with, because of all we've seen, because of all we've said, we are the dead. We are the dead. We are the dead. Uh, wow. <clears throat> then, the rather up-tempo and buoyant 1984... Tells us what that exactly would look like. They'll split your pretty cranium and fill it full of air and tell you that you're 80, but brother, you won't care. You'll be shooting up on anything. Tomorrow's never there. Beware the savage jaw of 1984. Phew. That's what. That's what <laughs> it looks it like, is. okay? Boom. And then, up on high, we finally talk about Big Brother, the man with the plan. We'll build a glass asylum with just a hint of mayhem. We'll build a better whirlpool. We'll be living from sin, and we can really begin. The song ends with the chorus describing the one the people seek. 
Someone to claim us, someone to follow, someone to shame us, some brave Apollo, someone to fool us, someone like you. We want you, big brother. And then the chant of the ever-circling skeletal family, which is every bit as eerie as it sounds, with its percussion parts suggesting bones and the repetition of words and phrases strange to our ears except for one. Brother, brother. But the funny thing is, for all its apocalyptic paranoia, Diamond Dogs is not a downer. Certain bands might take note, okay? I'm just saying... (laughs) Some of these bands could sing about buying a freaking ice cream sundae and make you pray for death, okay? <laughs> I'm just telling you, you know. Now, here's something. 1973, same year, 1973, another singularly mysterious album, unique in that artist's canon like Diamond Dogs was in Bowie's, The Rolling Stones' Goat's Head Soup, which you also heard recently in its entirety for the first time, Christina. Uh, maybe that'll find its way into another show, I don't know. But that was my fave of theirs, and Diamond Dogs is my favorite of Bowie's, and I gotta tell you, it was an amazing year to be 12 years old. And then the very next year, Bowie gave us Young Americans, and the Stones gave us its only rock and roll. What a time to live, I'm telling you. So, when you hear some old fossil like me, bloviating ad nauseum about the 70s, the 70s were all that, and a pack of fake news, you know, let us recommend a dozen or so records, and you might come on board, because, you know, uh, the war never ended, Uh, the 70s, uh, no, anyway, yeah, Diamond Dogs is one of the reasons, the 70s never ended, and Diamond Dogs is one of the reasons why, so, if you don't know this record, put it on, and I'll leave you alone, okay, yeah. Trust me, you'll you'll thank me later. So, any thoughts on Diamond Dogs or Goat's Head Soup, Christina? Well, Goat's Head Soup, I mean, I already talked about Diamond Dogs, but Goat's Head Soup really blew my mind. I've listened to a lot of Stones here and there, now and again, you know, never again, you know, cover to cover. And you recommended it, and I dove in, and I was in love. It was so good. Every song... Of course, there are a few notable songs, but seriously, there was not a bad song on that record. I dare say those are some of my favorite tunes by the Stones now. So, you know, you are batting a thousand as well as far as (laughs) this cover-to-cover album thing goes. And that's actually how I really like to listen to it. I don't like to listen to specific songs or just that one song that made it on the radio. And I actually prefer listening to albums that are kind of out of the norm. And I feel like these two are. So, thank you very much. I appreciate your recommendation on both. Yeah, no, 47 years later, those records are still that big a deal with me. I find it very, very hard to believe that, any, that most of the stuff that's coming out today is going to mean that much to somebody in 47 years. <laughs> Just, uh, I don't see it. I really don't. Let's check out some of the prehistoric tunes the old guy's always talking about. You'll be surprised. You know? <laughs> Absolutely. I was surprised, and I appreciate it. So song number nine is by The Atomic Kid. I love this song called Run. He is from Los Angeles, California, and he is psychedelic punk. I am telling you, I love this genre. So let me tell you a little bit about Run. The guitar, it comes in hard, loud, and delicious. Then comes in a punk new wave vocal. This song is genre bending with squealing distorted guitar. But there are moments where the distortion is replaced by a clean guitar sound and we can focus on the melody. The Atomic Kid is a keeper. Here's Run.
All right, song number eight is Hillrant, an artist we both know and love, and we'll talk about him more in a minute with the song called COVID-19. Now, there is no hiding what this song is about, and there doesn't need to be. We definitely need a little anthem. He is from the UK. He does alt-rock, punk, and a variety of other genres. Okay, let me tell you about this song. Intense driving guitar is prevalent throughout this song that is a study in anger, frustration, and instruction as he urges us to put on our masks and gloves and keep our distance. The vocals leave no doubt that he is trying desperately to safely and sanely maneuver this global pandemic. This is another notable track from a prolific artist with over 27 albums to his name. Listen to COVID-19 by Hillrand. You ready?
And that was COVID-19 by the one and only Hillrant. I'm telling you, is there nothing this man cannot do? Now he's going to solve that too? It's not, it's not enough that he puts out uh, a great radio show, The Hillrant Show. You can hear that on Fusion Music Radio and all the attendant platforms, uh, Apple and Spotify, etc., etc. The Hillrant Radio Show is, A, the most British thing you'll ever hear in your life. <laughs> it <laughs> is. He's from the UK, the bugger, the bloiter. Hillrant is the man. Not only can you hear... The Hillbrunt Radio Show on FusionMusicRadio.net. But we hear, the, the word is, the buzz is out there that he's just about to unleash some new music. Now, we haven't had anything really since the double album of 2018, oops, I think, 2018, I believe, uh, Amitriptyline, a fantastic record. Double album and uh, Louis Drayton, but a double album the same year. But um, uh, I hear there's something new coming. I think it might involve... Tilly Riddle, who also has a show on Fusion Music Radio that you can hear in all the same places. Now, if the Hill Ranch show is the most British thing you've ever heard, then in details, the Tilly Riddle show is the most Russian thing you've ever heard. <laughs> and we bring it all to you, and you need both of those. You really got to hear both of these shows. Okay, feature number two is Cinema Calling. For this feature, <laughs> we share how music enhances or detracts from movies. The movie this time is The Incredible... High Fidelity. The year was 2000. The director, Stephen Frears, who also happened to direct Dangerous Liaisons, The Queen, Philomena, and Florence Foster Jenkin. I've seen Dangerous Liaisons, and I'm absolutely in love with the direction, and I love that movie. Haven't seen the others, but they are certainly notable. I saw, besides Dangerous Liaisons, The Queen. That's the one with Helen Mirren as Queen Elizabeth II. Ah. Very good picture. So another one for Mr. Freer's cap. He's really uh, really on a streak here because this is an excellent flick, as was that. So tell us. Well, the premise for this one is a man that loves music but has a poor understanding of women. Typical. After being dumped, he tried to understand why he's failed at all of his relationships. He is a music snob that owns a record store, Championship Vinyl, and withholds this precious wax from those he and his quirky, elitist, and damaged understudies deem unworthy. Now, the cast is stellar. John Cusack is the main character. Jack Black and... <laughs> we actually have to use robotic help to pronounce that person's name. Uh, tip to those in Hollywood, don't have a name that you need a damn machine to pronounce. You know. Well, she's Danish, and it's yeah. a beautiful Danish name. So That's true. That's true. She, she this lady, played um, Rob's girlfriend in the movie, and she's incredible. Todd Luiso, Tim Robbins, Lisa Bonet, Catherine Zeta-Jones, and Lily Taylor, just to name a few. And there are a few Kuzaks that actually also make an appearance in this film that you may have missed. Not only Joan, but... Uh, there's also Susie Kuzak and Dick Kuzak. And I have to mention Sarah Gilbert's in this because she plays the cutest little role ever. And so a great cast. And, of course, it is nothing without a fantastic soundtrack. And, you know, I remember that when I watched this movie the first time, I actually didn't know a lot of the songs. And I remember thinking, God, these songs really frame this, this picture well, but I don't know them. They moved me. They certainly stayed with me. There are some notable ones I'm going to mention. I'll read more, but the most notable tracks for me are You're Gonna Miss Me by the 13th Floor Elevators, Oh Sweet Nothing by the Velvet Underground, another one Who Loves the Sun by the Velvet Underground, Inside Game by Royal Trucks, 
most of the time, Bob Dylan and Dry the Rain by the Beta Band. Now, I will say this movie introduced me to the Beta Band. I had never heard of them, never heard any of their music, and absolutely fell in love with the Beta Band, um, as I think you will too. And the 13th Floor Elevators are like nothing you've ever heard before. And the song that, you know, I know I'd heard it quite a few times, but it never spoke to me the way that it did in this movie because it was used brilliantly is Stevie Wonder's 1972, I Believe. And it really just sums up this picture when they play it. And it is absolutely beautiful. So this picture is not only defined by its brilliant soundtrack, incredible cast, and really on point and telling premise, but it also has some of the best one-liners that anybody will ever have in a movie. And they stay with you. Um, there's so many. For example, Rob is wearing a sweater and he uh, it's deemed a Cosby sweater. And it is beautiful. I will never forget some of these one-liners. They're hilariously delivered. They're beautiful. They're bizarre. And their timing is perfect. And David, I believe that you have some that stayed with you because this was your first time seeing this movie that I've seen. I don't even know how many times. But a, yet another classic I introduced to you. And what say you about this film and its uh, brilliant one-liners? The dialogue is razor sharp, and she talked about the 13th floor elevators. It begins with that. The beautiful black vinyl record spinning round and round, sound feeding out the headphones worn by John Cusack's character Rob, uh, waxing philosophical, which is kind of what he does throughout the whole picture. The dialogue is so good. He starts off, what came first? The music or the misery. And you know, I've asked myself that many times. <laughs> Seriously, I mean... Uh, we, the age-old question. It is, you know. There's something happened, like, uh, from the 90s on. I mean, we were not as we were not super depressed in the 70s. Again, there he goes with the 70s because of the music. When you get to, like, Radiohead and Tool, but just moving on. Okay. That's, a, that's on. not the stuff he was talking about. <laughs> uh, he, talks, uh, he talks about listening to songs about heartbreak, rejection, pain, misery, and loss. And he wonders... Did I listen to pop music because I was miserable? Or was I miserable because I listened to pop music? I say it's the latter. Okay. Chicken, egg, egg, chicken, <laughs> chicken, egg, that egg. kind of thing. Yeah. Just want you to know that this picture has you hooked from the get-go with a scene like this. Anyway, the music is interrupted when the girlfriend yanks the headphone jack out, and we witness the first of many breakup scenes. Now, we all have our Desert Island albums and artists, but as soon as the girlfriend leaves, he launches into his top five Desert Album breakups? After rattling off the first five, he shouts after the now-long-gone girlfriend that though her name wasn't on there, she might sneak into the top ten. <laughs> yes, songs and breakups is what this picture is all about, and it's marvelous. He goes to his record store, which is the hub of most of the action. Uh, he tells us it's just, I've got to give you some of the, it's one of the most quotable pictures ever. There's so many things. It is. You're going to, just like she said, the lines, you're going to stay with you. It's, it's, uh, there's nothing like a quotable script because this is just... Just on fire. Uh, he tells us that the store is kept afloat by special interest customers, mostly young men looking for deleted Smith singles and original, not, not re-released, underlined underline. Frank Zappa albums. Which uh, <laughs> and regular listeners know how we feel about both of them, you know. <laughs> and he flips on the light, and you're like scanning everywhere for records. Oh, look, Iron Butterfly. Oh, there's King Crimson over there, you know. And it's almost not fair to his excellent delivery, uh, which is the narration is straight out of Woody Allen, and he carries the picture almost entirely by himself. I mean, he's it's he's riveting him. Yeah. Uh, and look, there's Donna Summer, and so lots of vinyl, <laughs> lots of 45s, you know, lots of both of which I have. 
And then uh, Squirmy Nebishy Dick comes in with his strange tastes, clearly not appreciated by Rob. And then moments later, Barry shows up, played by the eternally scenery-chewing Jack Black, who hears Dick's song playing over the store speakers, asks, What the fuck is that? <laughs> Proclaiming it sucks ass, he turns it off. So he's... Basically, he's my spirit animal. <laughs> and then he puts on Katrina and the Waves Walking on Sunshine, which anybody who doesn't like that song is a commie or a terrorist or a dark, scary person who belongs on a special FBI watch list. Oh, my God. <laughs> and he starts to spaz out. So he is definitely my spirit animal. And in 10 minutes, you are all in on this picture. Uh, however, he could have turned that moment into a bonding moment by pulling out the egg. Sucks a whole lot of ass. Ow. Sucks a whole lot of ass. Ow. I forgot the ow the first time. Uh, so when he turns it off, Barry says, go on, put on some old sad bastard music. He's me. It's me all over. Uh, I tell you, I am he and he is me and we are we and we are all together. But by this time, you're totally hooked on this nutsoid warts and all uh, introspective confessional film. The character is not at all afraid to show himself to be a complete dick, and you can't help but admire that. The musical snobbery never ceases to amuse, and it's just as much fun when they get called out on it. The wry observations and endless zingers and bonmos just keep it crackling along. And the soundtrack, the songs, are so carefully woven into the visual fabric, whether it's creating any number of moods or setting us in a period or both. The, the, the music is brilliant. And you're going to love this movie twice in short order, I assure you, because there's so much going on. It comes at you so fast, and it's so entertaining that I unreservedly recommend it. Uh, it's especially enjoyable if you're, like me, committed to a relationship-free life, and you know that none of this crap's ever going to happen to you again. <laughs> but you're totally batting a 1,000 on the movies, Christina, and incredibly so, because seriously, one look at Donnie fucking Darko's packaging, and I'm like, no thanks. <laughs> but it totally ruled, so, and you totally rule. Oh, well, thank you. I really love this movie. I'm glad you did. And before I go, I think it would be I would be remiss if I did not list some of the other songs on the soundtrack. I listed the top ones, but I'm going to go out with giving you the rest of them. Everybody's going to be happy. The Kinks. I'm wrong about everything. John Wesley Harding. Always See Your Face by Love. Fallen for You by Sheila Nichols. Shipbuilding by Elvis Costello. Cold-Blooded Old Times by Smog. Low Boob Oscillator by Stereolab. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> <laughs> Low Boob Oscillator. Just, just checking that that's what you said. Okay. <laughs> My Stereolab. And uh, Stereolab's a, a very interesting band, too. I really urge you, if you don't know a lot of these, go to Amazon. And on Amazon, you can listen to little bits of each song. Then you can get a flavor, and I guarantee you're going to hit the Buy Now button. So do that. And while you're at it, get yourself a copy of High Fidelity. All right, which brings us to song. <laughs> All right, I didn't move. Stop it. You did. <laughs> I did All right, which brings us to song number seven, the McNicknicks out of straight out of Connecticut, out of Enfield, Connecticut, the McNicknicks. Well, for years I'd known Chick McNicknicks as a guitar player. He worked with Derek Dubois uh, in uh, Malo Warriors and a lot of projects like that. And we even did a song together uh, with Chick on guitar and Derek vocals and drums and me on bass uh, a cover of the Beatles Nowhere Man so I've known him for years as a, just an all around musician and then I'm reminded that he had a punk band in the 90s called the McNicknicks and they're just wonderful you're gonna love the real deal the OGs of punk the McNicknicks and you don't know nothing
All right, feature three, almost famous fledglings. Nobody's born famous, although a lot of rock and rollers don't do much in the way of real work before they become stars. They always have to do something, and in this case, the artist is Ozzy Osbourne. We know he's from Birmingham, England. Uh, they're always saying, uh, it's going to be back in Birmingham. That's that's my Aussie impression. It was very nice. It was a little too lucid, though. A little too a little, lucid, yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> closer. Much closer. <laughs> <laughs> Almost for dead on. Feature, <laughs> for this feature, we examine jobs a now famous person did before they were famous. And Ozzy Osbourne, who you know as a uh, very successful solo artist, and of course, lead vocalist of Black Sabbath, that before they were famous job was a slaughterhouse abattoir. Oh, well, that's a fancy way of saying, in Ozzy's own words, I had to slice open the cow carcasses and get all the gunk out of their stomachs. I used to vomit every day. The smell was something else. I mean, it was like that. Uh, and, uh, yeah, that had to be a tough one. Um, all right, so Ozzy is on nine Black Sabbath albums out of the 19-ish in their catalog. Um, Black Sabbath, the, the sensational debut, same year, Paranoid, Master of Reality. I, I don't want to start a war by saying the overrated Master of Reality because it is really good, um, which gave us uh, Children of the Grave, song, yeah, song that they, everybody always picks as if it were the greatest song ever, but they've got so much more to offer, as in 1972's Volume 4, which is just a gem from cover to cover. The ultimate masterpiece, 73. There it is again, 73, mm. the magic year, Sabbath, bloody Sabbath. Everybody put out their best album in 73. This is their masterpiece, Sabrakadabra. Killing Yourself to Live. Uh, the almost every bit as awesome Sabotage in 1975. That was the tour I saw them on. Symptom of the Universe, Am I Going Insane? 76's Criminally Underappreciated. Shame on all you dopes out there who don't uh, value technical ecstasy as much as you should. And 78's Never Say Dies the same way. Great, great record. Then... No More Ozzy and Black Sabbath for a very, very, very long time. He went to his solo career... Blizzard of Oz, uh, 1980, same t- same year that Black Sabbath put out their first solo album with uh, Ronnie James Dio, and Blizzard of Oz had uh, Crazy Train. You all know that one. And guess who covered Crazy Train? Guess who? Pat Boone. It's on. Oh. That's right. It's on in a metal mood. I'm, it, you got to be convinced by now to get the record, audience. You must be. <laughs> it's irreplaceable. Sir, he gets no kickbacks. Yeah. No, Damn, no, sir, he gets none. No. Mr. Crowley, I mean, I'd like to open for Pat Boone, and I'm kind of trying nice? to grease the wheels, you know. <laughs> uh, Mr. Crowley, and a great one, uh, Goodbye to Romance. That's a terrific one. 1981, Diary of a Madman. More signature tunes like Flying High Again and Over the Mountain. Bark at the Moon, 83. 86, The Ultimate Sin. 88, No Rest for the Wicked. Uh, huge hit, 1991, No More Tears. Mama, I'm Coming Home. That was a great record. Though I only had the first two Aussie solos ever, honestly, I, I lost interest after that. I, I was I followed Sabbath and not him, but uh, there was some good stuff there. 1995 Osmosis, that 2001, getting up into the modern age, down to earth, it gets me through. Good song. Uh, 2005 Undercover, which is a cover album, and I only just found out this existed. How have I missed this? Rocky Mountain Way. George, uh, Joe Walsh, Sunshine of Your Love, Cream, uh, Go Now, Moody Blues, and then Wings later on. Uh, I've got to hear this thing. Just like you needed to hear that. 
2007, Black Rain. 2010, Scream. And then, yes, 2020, 10 whole years later, brand new release from Mr. Osborne, Ordinary Man, with uh, Under the Graveyard, Straight to Hell, It's a Raid. Very, very uh, heavy record. Uh, And if you like that sort of thing, then I like it. It's a good record. So Ozzy, the one-time stomach gunk remover, (laughs) is now still at, oh, what is he, 80, 85, something like that? Still putting out good records. So, hey, nice. Um, I I told you before on a previous episode, I thought he was kind of overrated, but I give him credit for what he he can do. He's he's quite good. Overrated. Yeah, there wouldn't be a Black Sabbath. I heard that. There wouldn't be a Black Sabbath without him. Sorry, just uh, a little something in my throat. Ah, bien, bien. Hoy es tiempo para canción seis. Oh, I'm sorry. Wrong show. Whoa. I'm moonlighting. I'm, I'm moonlighting on another show. Uh, Mexican radio. You know, you understand. Um, <clears throat> okay, that brings us to song number six by Rebel Rebel. Just as Slippery When Wet has a song, Hell No, We're Not Bon Jovi, Rebel Rebel should have a song, No, We're Not a Damn David Bowie Tribute Band, because there are a half a dozen at least of those. But this is an original punk metal band from Los Angeles, California, the self-proclaimed Kings of Noise, the nucleus of which has been comprised of for over 30 years by brothers Jet Jupiter and Teddy Heavens. This is a band with many great LPs to their credit, and they always, always give you a live show that is worth every mile you have to drive to get there. And the sound is raw, elemental punk, or so it would seem, a few chords, a lot of uh, really, really impressive guitar. You could almost lose sight of the extremely clever lyrics, which we've... Greek mythology and all sorts of obscure literature and pop culture references, and you never know where they're going. It's just, it is a it is a mind trip. It really is. This one has fascinating sound bites that call to mind some sort of apocalyptic doomscape. Did he say scape again? Yes, I did. That's right. Not soundscape, doomscape. But it's one of those anthemic things, compelling lyrics such as the last stanza of this one, when muses all fall silent. And the mutants have been enslaved. All the saints are persecuted. We sing the song to the very day. We will survive. With that kind of enthusiasm, these kids are going someplace. I'm telling you, I love this band. <laughs> That's I tell you, when you find yourself in a nightmare nuclear world and everything with mutants and knives. That's the kind of attitude you need to have. Okay, that kind of stick to it is that's that is the British fortitude, the stiff upper lip, the whole thing. We will survive by Rebel Rebel. Enjoy.
last month. I never had a chance. The kid who tells on another kid is a dead kid. Jesus Christ, for God's sake, man. Put the gun away. I don't do Goodbye, North. All right, song number five is Doom County Electric Chair. Wow, say that 20 times fast. The song is Burn. They are from California. They are punk rock, obviously. And this song is quite something. Now, I couldn't find any social media for this band, sadly. Uh, They did submit, though. So if you provide us with your social media, I will put it out on the site, our Birds of a Feather site. But I have to talk to you about Burn. It is a kick-ass track with what feels like classic metal um, that goes into a heavy, propulsive, and hard-hitting guitar and drum onslaught. Now, it quickly morphs into a punk rock delight, of course. The vocals are forceful and compelling and are further elevated when the unexpected harmonies come in. The chorus is right up my alley because it's both catchy and includes a 20-point curse word. So, <laughs> enjoy Burn. Get some relief, no steam in your poverty Yeah, little 
All right, and that brings us to feature four. Hell yes, or oh, hell no. I always look forward to this. Being on the wrong side of the audience is such a such a delight. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I'm actually not this time, though. Okay, now for this feature, we consider bands and determine if we're advocates for them. Hell yes, or detractors. Oh, hell no. And we also ask for your opinions on the band or artist and share the results, which is what we're doing now. And the question at hand was about ACDC... From 1974 to 1980, lead vocalist Bon Scott. And from 1980 on, Brian Johnson. Now, each of these lineups has produced iconic songs that you know by heart. That is absolutely certain. But the question is, who do you prefer? And the results, well, it's an understatement to say they're not even close. (laughs) Not even close. It's an embarrassment. I sincerely (laughs) hope Brian Johnson doesn't hear the show. Bon Scott came in with 96% of the vote. What? What? Brian Johnson, the other four, right? You're, you're clinging, you're, you're hoping. Zero. 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 The other 4% went to both. Well, thank you very much. It's like you an know? honorable mention for Yeah, it's like we're friends Mr. like Johnson. you guys, you know? <laughs> yes. And, uh, you know, and I, I, I kind of understand that because... Uh, honestly, Bon Scott is a better singer. I think Absolutely. he really is. One hundred percent. And there are some superb old ACDC songs, but I'm of the opinion that the writing got better as soon as Brian Johnson came on board. Whether he had anything to do with it or not, the songs got more—a word that I'm forbidden to use on pain of death. Well, they certainly became more accessible. And I know commercial isn't everything, but they're more enjoyable. They're more singable. There are songs there. Angus Young learned some new guitar tricks that he employed in like every song, like Who Made Who and Thunderstruck. And you all know what I'm talking about. But it works, son of a bitch. And interestingly, I mentioned Who Made Who. That's the soundtrack to the film of the same name, Who Made Who, by Stephen King, who chose the band to basically play the soundtrack. And there's all kinds of ACDC on there, Bon Scott and Brian Johnson. So, but I think that song is a good example of how they got better, and I just think the songs are more memorable and catchy, like, well, Back in Black is pretty much unbeatable, let's face it, and Hell's Bells is really strong, and Money Talks, I mean, this is a pop gem. This is absolutely the kind of pop gem that I don't think the old ACDC would have had, as much as I do really love some of their stuff, and uh, Safe in New York City. And they've just got... They became a hit machine. They really did after that. And I think the songs are better. And yet, the quandary is... And I know Bruce shares this. You can't replace the great Brian Johnson songs, and they wouldn't be as good if Bon Scott was on them. So how is it that the better singer, which we both believe Bon Scott to be, can't do the Brian Johnson songs and somehow make them better? In fact, they wouldn't be anywhere near as good. So that's the uh, that's the dilemma we find ourselves in. But Bon Scott is definitely the better singer in my mind. I like the songs of Brian Johnson better for the most part. But um, I I love this band for a while. I do get a little weary of them after after a stretch. I went to a tribute band, and they always seem to favor Bon Scott, called Bonfire. Uh, tribute band, fantastic for like the first hour. And then I sat down on the corner, and I was just like sitting there slumping, waiting for it to end. And it went on for another hour and a half, because their music really doesn't have that much staying power to me. Now, I know Bruce says he never gets tired of them, but I do after a while. But love them to death for that 20, 30, 40 minutes. Great band, and uh, I like both incarnations. But if the question is about singers, then Bond gets it, no question. If it's about the music, to me, I'll give it to the Johnson era. What about you? 
Um, definitely Bon Scott. I mean, definitely in that camp, but I actually also like the older ACDC. I don't like the commercial shit. I don't like the catchy crap. I don't like the way Brian Johnson sings at all. I prefer the older stuff, but you know, then that's more my musical taste. I like that it was weird. I like that it wasn't super accessible. Um, I love the way he sings them. I love the delivery of the song. I love the sounds of the song. So I am old ACDC or I'm no ACDC, but I could not really do the 1980s and now ACDC, I'm out. So uh, yeah, I'm Team Bon Scott all the way. And I was not surprised when we were asking about singers. Um, and I do think the songwriting back then was better. Not as catchy, not as commercial, but better. Yes, you're so right. It's better. Who could forget the highfalutin tone of Big Balls, which uh, <laughs> it's sort of clever. And yes, I actually used the same joke in my uh, in one of my Fusion Music Radio uh, promos for Butterflies and Hurricanes. So uh, it can be done if you're uh, with just the right uh, finesse. It, Correct. it can be handled. That is true. Testicle jokes are, uh, are actually... Uh, Acceptable, they're I always think. Welcome, I think. Yeah, they're I think they're always welcome. welcome if they're done right. Done it's well. Not, it's not like uh, you know, hey, these nuts. No, I'm not into that. But no. I mean, you know, you got to have a little. You got to have a little uh, panache. You got to have a little. You do. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so I think everybody's in agreement on that, except for the uh, your uh, you're totally missing the the beauty and genius of the more accessible Brian uh, Johnson music. But yeah, there are so many classics from the Bon Scott era. Ride on, what a beauty! What I a beauty! I have heard all the Brian Johnson stuff. I'm sorry, I've heard it, and I just it it it's that's the stuff I want to go sit on the curb and wait for it to be over. Wow! Yeah. There's gonna be some rocking. Oh man, yeah. Oh, I mean. Bon Scott, awesome, awesome. What a vocalist, and the music was great. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, the band seemed to favor them. The fans seemed to favor them. Yes. But hey, you know how many records the Brian Johnson uh, incarnation has sold? Somebody out there likes them, and um, I'm one of them, I think. Well, uh, if, we lo- if we hadn't lost Bon Scott, I don't know what would have happened. I mean, he, he passed away. You know, 1980. So if we still had Bon Scott, who knows what would have happened? And hey, let us not forget that Bon Scott played bagpipes, hello, uh, at least on the song It's a Long Way to the Top if you want to rock and roll. And anybody who doesn't love that, well, I've already told you what kind of person they are. The same as the kind of person (laughs) who doesn't like walking on sunshine. If you don't like that... (laughs) Uh, I'm glad I have a lock on my door and a gun because people like you are out there. Okay, so... <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> it's a great song. Ah, oh, 34. Wow. He was what a, a young man. Man, yeah. he, he was, he's what I classify as a kid. <laughs> he was a kid. <laughs> he was a kid. 34, that's a kid. What the hell? Terrible, terrible loss, you know. But to subject you to some more old guy stories, not only did I see Bon Scott's ACDC opening for Rush in Poughkeepsie, New York, but uh, I also was there when Back in Black was released in the same year as the new and improved, uh, according to most, Black Sabbaths debut with Ronnie James Dio, Heaven and Hell. They both came out, you dropped the disc on, and... How you are blown out of your socks in both cases, and I do think I'm sorry. I think there's a question on Facebook the other day about name an album with no bad songs. First of all, there are a lot of those albums out there that don't have bad songs. Back in Black, unfortunately, is not one of them. <laughs> it's no, like, it's all. But they they said Back in Black. It's like, come on, there is some obvious filler on there. Giving the dog a bone, seriously, for sure. Thank you, <laughs> but. 
there's a lot of kick-assery to easily, like I said, one song and you're good with me for life. And Back in Black has got way more than one. But uh, imagine that coming out and uh, Heaven and Hell at the same time. Uh, new phases for already legendary bands. And yeah, I'm with the Bon Scott crowd, though, gotta say. All right. Well, that takes you to song number four. What? And you get to announce somebody that we both know and love. Oh, yes. There you go. <laughs> it's important to remember. The principle is called graduated interval recall. Okay. I know that sounds like some kind of a progressive rock band or something like that, but that is how you learn stuff. So we're going to keep bringing that actress's name back as often as it takes until you have it. What was her name? Yile. Yes, that's the one. <laughs> and now we are indeed introducing song number what? Four. Song number four by a legend, uh, Louis Drayton, the king of radio, the king of, well, rap and electronica. And in this case, remember we played him on the goth show, and he fits over with pretty in your face. Well, here he is back again with what he does so well. In fact, some of his earliest works... Punk, and this one is the song called Gadget Hack Wrench Suck. Now, I have listened to this for years and never had the slightest clue what he was on about because some artists like Rebel Rebel and Louis Drayton put together sound things, is what I'm going to call them, with <laughs> so, that are so intricate and full of such sonic intrigue that sometimes you cannot make out every single word. And Gadget Hack Wrench Suck is one of those. So for years, I just took it on face value and said, Yeah, it's a great song. And I got some of the lines, many of them, in fact. And I had a vague idea of what it was about. But I only found out today the real skinny on this song, which is Gadget Hack Wrench is a fictional cartoon mouse in the Disney animated television series Chip and Dale Rescue Rangers. Now, how in the hell did I not know that? <laughs> Where, what am I, Where living in a been? cave? <laughs> what kind of uh, troglodyte am I to not be fully enmeshed in Chip and Dale Rescue Rangers uh, uh, the scene there? But there is a scene, and that's the thing. You learn, uh, hanging around with Louis Strait, and you learn things, every sort of deviance that's out there He's a walking encyclopedia about, and uh, that's really fascinating. And there are people who are into cartoon animals, furry animals, uh, My bronies, Little Pony. Yes. Yeah, we got the furries, we got the bronies. You listen to Butterflies <laughs> and Hurricanes, you hear all about these people. You hear the funniest stories we can dig up about them. Well, this, as it turns out, is about one such person, a real one in particular. Well, in Lewis's words, the song is about escapism as an ultimate dead end, but it was inspired by the story of a man named Ray Jones who was openly and proudly in love with Chippendale's Rescue Rangers. Now, mm. I'm glad because I don't like to throw dirt around about people that somebody just dug up, but he, he wants you to know. He totally owns it. He's like, so I am into, right? <laughs> I am into Chippendale Rescue Rangers, making him what they call a ranger file. Bronies. Mm. Uh, we've got furries, Bronies, uh, Ranger Files. However, worse than most Ranger Files, Ray actually believes he is in a monogamous relationship with this cartoon character, despite having a wife, children, and grandchildren. Mm. Now, you gotta love that. Okay? Love it. Love <laughs> uh, it. Now, he's been known and, in fact, has openly admitted to dressing members of his family as characters from Rescue Rangers, doubtless for some sinister and twisted purpose. That's what the article says, not me, although I'm not arguing, am I? <laughs> as well as producing a staggering amount of artwork dealing with what can only be called a pathological obsession with Gadget Hackwrench. Hmm. The sheer volume of his art, as well as his single-minded dedication to the insane idea of loving a 
cartoon character and his vocal support of recruiting others to this cause has led him to become the god emperor of all ranger philia. Now, who knew all these things were happening right around you and you knew nothing about it? So somehow Louis Drayton thinks this is inspiration. I must write a song. He is worshipped and adored by all the degenerate retards that practice the perversion. And again, I'm quoting the article. This is not me. I'm not saying anything about I don't know anything about Ray Jones. However, I know one thing, and that he was the impetus for a very brilliant song with the lyrics come at you fast and furious. And if you think it's really weird and twisted, then it is. It apparently involves this person, Mr. Jones, out trolling to find some sort of... Uh, uh, what uh, <clears throat> what Black Sabbath would call woman for sale, uh, takeaway woman from the song Dirty Women, uh, who will play this particular sort of game with him, and maybe if they uh, attire themselves appropriately, he might get gadget hack wrench suck. Same. 
And that, dear listener, is Gadget Hack Wrench Suck. Now, you had the advantage of knowing going in what it was about. I just knew it was just a great song. And uh, his punk is such is so extraordinary, and I was uh, very happy that we well there were many of them to choose from. So, and you can find links to all things Louis Drayton, and that would include buku copious radio programs that are extraordinary. Why? Because he's on them. That's why. And uh, lots of excellent music at lewisdrayton.co.uk. All right, so this is feature number five, one-hit warblers. And for this feature, we discuss a one-hit wonder that rocked either our world or the music world. And this one did both. This is The Divinals, and the song is I Touch Myself. Now, it was released in November 1990, and the genre is new wave, pop, rock, and pub rock. And the band formed in 1980 in Sydney, Australia, and band members Christy Amphlett and Mark McEntee. And it hit number one um, on its 10th week on the chart and remained there for two weeks. It actually, I think, knocked off Ice Ice Baby. No! <laughs> I know. what The, the horror, no. the inhumanity. You what know. a black day that was. It was okay, a black, was, black one. It was very was sad. <laughs> Not. Second to Doomsday. <laughs> That's <right>. correct. <laughs> Uh, so this song is a pn to eroticism, orgasm, and the female masturbation. And so, you know, what I really like about this song is it makes a lot of people uncomfortable. And I remember, uh, I'm going to tell the story, that I wanted to do this song when I joined the band way back in the day with uh, <laughs> Bruce and, and three other guys. And I said, I want to do I Touch Myself. And they were like, oh, and I'm like, no, seriously, we got to do it. And we did for a while. I don't think they loved it. I loved it. I loved every moment. And not because it's like, oh, I'm a feminist. I'm just, you know what? It happens. And it's a sexy song. And I love to sing it. And I love the sound of the song. And I love that it celebrates sexuality. Why the hell not? We all are sexual beings. So, I mean, it doesn't make any sense not to celebrate it. And I just, I thought the video was brilliant. I thought the song was brilliant. I thought what it said was brilliant. I don't know. I'm totally in. And I really wished that more of their music would have really kind of, you know, made it all the way up the charts. But at least we'll always have this one. And sadly, we lost Chrissy many years ago. But this song lives on. Um, as does her <laughs> her super sexy performance in that video. My goodness gracious. David, any thoughts on this one-hit warbler? Well, that voice, my goodness, that voice of hers. Well, I had this terrific AOR station in the Hudson Valley area, uh, WPDH, and is now a radio station you can listen to on iHeartRadio. And so they played any number of tracks from a given album, and it's true that I Touch Myself was the Divinals' only, you know, bona fide hit, like, all over the place, and it appeared on my head. Well, they did get airplay with a lot of songs. <laughs> yeah, see. Yeah. You're a little late with the finger and the fierce face. Hey. I think you're kind of uh, taking this for granted here. you got to be vigilant. Okay? I mean, I turned away from the mic and you didn't say squat. Okay, Because <laughs> that's all on me, of course. It's, of course it is, yeah. Uh, we're teaching what not to do, what how not to uh, transfer responsibility. Okay, <laughs> that's correct. <laughs> that's what we're teaching you. <laughs> Take note. All right, but it was 1990. I was not a child. I was already what 29. Does that make me 29? Almost 30. Almost uh, where I had a brain. And. Uh, <laughs> 
Anyway, WPDH was playing killer tunes. Among them, the Divinals version of Pleasure and Pain, which you might know by the tagline or the chorus line. It's a fine line between pleasure and pain. It's that song, and it's really, really a good one. They also had to Lay Your Body Down. So they got airplay with a lot of songs, but this was the hit of his. This is what they're remembered for. But hey, I think it's a good thing to be remembered for. It's a fantastic song. Mm. Holds up great. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's... It is a steamy song, and that's that's the way you like it. I mean, that's the way it works. And uh, I'm sure your version was lovely. Nothing against that, but... uh, (laughs) It was pretty... (laughs) I'm speaking to... Pretty lovely. I've been calling her Christina, by the way, all these years. That's what I remember her name being from the albums or whatever. And I saw... uh, Apparently, she went to Chrissy. I didn't know that, but... um, well, she's a really good singer. They're a really great band, and they're remembered for something, so that's more than most people ever get. So, correct. Uh, yes. Correct, and it is not their only great song either. So. Okay, so, you know, if you like this song and you're intrigued by what we're saying, go check out their catalog. It's definitely going to be worth your time. All right, so song number three coming right up from Mink Daggers. Messing Up Mondays is the song. They are from California. They are rock and punk. Oh, this song. Messing Up Mondays. So I, I heard the title and I thought, well, I don't know how I'm going to feel about this song. This song kicks your ass from start to finish. The melody and the raw in-your-face vocals certainly make me want to jump into a mosh pit for the first time. The bass, the drums, they get their due in this song that endears me to this band because they get their due. The bass and the guitar solo build insane tension and continues until the song comes to an end with a final chorus and a vicious, yeah! Listen to Messing Up Mondays. A, a vicious, a vicious what? I'm sorry. Can you do that again, please? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure everybody heard that. <laughs> okay. I didn't want you to miss that. He does it much better than I do, but I've tried. <laughs> that was well worth uh, repeating. Uh, <laughs> Monday, Monday. 
So that was Mink Daggers with Messing Up Mondays. You can find them at Mink Daggers, M-I-N-K-D-A-G-G-E-R-S at Facebook. And that brings us to feature six, one we have presented before, The Pecking Order. For this feature, we pit one similar artist against another and determine The Pecking Order. In a friendly, friendly competition, of course. (laughs) Always friendly. (laughs) Yes. Shaking of hands at the end. Uh, Judas Priest versus Iron Maiden. Now, to me at the beginning, it seemed a clear choice. But that's because I knew Judas Priest and I didn't really know Iron Maiden. A couple other tunes I knew that were really, really good, but the rest I didn't care for much. And I thought, uh, vocally speaking, I would rather listen to, Iron, uh, to Judas Priest any day, uh, Rob Halford. And I don't know, uh, but now that I've been turned on to with a custom Spotify playlist by the ever helpful Bruce, Iron Maiden, <laughs> he picked a bunch of songs and I've been listening to him and I'm like, son of a bitch. They're actually, even the one I thought I didn't like, The Number of the Beast, really turns out to be quite good. Uh, very, an excellent song. And uh, a lot of new ones that I hadn't uh, really been familiar with. So I've developed an entirely new appreciation of them. I would still probably pick uh, Judas Priest, even though Iron Maiden is proggier, and I know that appeals to some people a lot, and it does to me. But uh, something about uh, Priest's sound uh, just works all the time. So I would give him a slight edge, but uh, I definitely have opened up my eyes to Iron Maiden uh, much more than it was. So. How about you? I'm not sure where you stand. I know where Bruce stands because we've talked about it. What's your take on either of these bands or both? Well, like you, I was not as familiar with Iron Maiden. Now I hear Bruce play it around the house, and sometimes I'll get in the car and it's blaring. And, uh, you know, I will say I... I listened to a lot of the playlist. I didn't listen to all of it. I didn't. I didn't get to. I was too short a time here. Yeah. Well, and I started to listen to some songs, and I actually shared this with him. I said, you know, I started listening to the first two or three songs, and I could only get through like half of them. I said, is there a song that I should really start with? It's really going to pull me in because my shit's out. And he's like, start with this song. And I don't remember what it was, and I did. And I was like, okay. All right, now I'm kind of in. I'm like, you need to start with the strongest one or I'm going to just be fucking out of there. Now, I will say, I really do like Iron Maiden. I really do. I like what I like their songs. I like the song structure. I like the progginess. I like the vocals. But I'm sorry. It's going to be Priest for me, and it's probably because I'm more familiar with it, but I love Rob's voice. Yes, exactly. I just, there's nothing like that voice, and then I can picture him on stage, and I just, the whole thing works for me, so I have to, and it's not a slight edge, I have to kind of give it to Judas Priest, although I do think these two are evenly pitted against each other for sound, the time, you know, and really what they do. I think they're perfectly pitted against each other, but I just think it's Priest all the way. No, I'm in Priest's camp, and honestly, did Pat Boone ever cover Iron Maiden? No, he did not, but we've got this. You've got another thing coming. It's freaking fabulous. <laughs> what do you hear him sing it? I mean, I love Rob to death, but this is this is big fun. One life, I'm gonna live it up. Badass. I'm taking flight. I said. I mean, it is kind of bad. <laughs> Yeah, so Pat gives it to Priest, so do I, so does Christina. 
So song number two is by Mono Deluxe. The song that we'll be listening to is Kill. They are from California. Their genre is supersonic power chord destruction with Chuck Berry guerrilla warfare punk rock. Well said, well said. So, <laughs> you know you're in for a treat right there. Now, Kill, this is a subtle mono lo-fi sound. This track is perfectly set up by that sound. Now, I appreciate the shit out of the lyrics. Wait for these. You make me want to kill. You make me want to maim against my will. Let me tell you about the birds and the bees and the tenets of destruction. Fuck your Chevy. Fuck your Levy. Fuck your Miss America ruse. The fury is palpable in everything from the lyrics to vocal delivery to the syncopated rhythms. Feel the fury for yourself. That was Kill by Mono Deluxe. You can find them on Facebook at M-O-N-O-D-E-L-U-X. And that brings us to song number one, a band we've heard on Butterflies and Hurricanes any number of times, despite the fact that they only have three originals to their name. Sugar Punk Fairies hails out of Michigan and came to my attention through its bass player, Holly Nicole, who I already adored as a member of one of my all-time favorite bands, Jaggedy Ann with Leona X and Gayla Dawn and Claudie Z. Just an incredible band. And then, last next thing you know, 
Holly had left drums, and she was killer on the drums. She was. Uh, she reminded me of Sandy West, but she was one of the best drummers I've ever seen. And then she went to play bass in Michigan with Sugar Punk Fairies, and I loved this group from the start. I was watching the streams of them doing covers and everything, and they were just... Uh, I loved them. I thought they were fantastic. And then they released their first original song, which is the one you're going to hear right now. Out of Michigan, this song by Sugar Punk Fairies is called Dating Down. <laughs> Wasn't that incredible? Did you hear that vocal? That inc- Emily Fox is just blowing the roof off this song. Her voice is pure gold. I love this group. And you go to Sugar Punk Fairies, 
Com, and here's what you can do there. You can buy the three original singles they've released, this one and two others, for 99 cents each and get the three covers for free. Six songs for one for uh, three bucks. Uh, best deal in town. I call Great that deal. a bargain. I said this on Butterflies, too. I would definitely get over there. We were going to adore this band. You already do if you heard that song. It's just a, they are incredible. And I'm so glad I happened to get to know them through their bass player, who was the drummer in one of my favorite groups. And both these are outstanding, and they had incredible vocalists, too. So check them both out, Jaggedy Ann and Sugar Punk Fairies. All right, so the new both theme. Well, this is uh, an exclusive. We are actually now going back to themes. We did take a little slight detour and did some free birds at your request, and now we're going back to themes. We don't know for how long. We do what we want. It's our show. And this time the theme is Cheap Thrills, a Squawk on the Wild Side. Now, what the hell does that mean? Well, we're looking for unusual, dangerous, or, you know, strange situations. Now, you know, they can be... You know, I guess sorted. They can be bizarre. They can be odd. They can be awkward. They can be quirky. Um, you know, so give us your best weird. I like weird. You know, throw those our way at both on air at gmail.com. B O A F on air at gmail.com. And get those in right away because once we get 10 in, you never know if you're going to make it in. So do not wait till the last minute. Because the top 10 is usually generated that same day. So, looking forward to your cheap thrills. So, we've come to that time in the show where we talk about the end. And parting is such sweet sorrow. And we also give you homework. We give you homework for hell yes or oh hell no. Because we want you to weigh in. Because we care what you think. Because we want audience participation. Because we want to know what you think about Marilyn Manson. So we will put it out there and we want you to comment, to send us emails, to skywrite, whatever it is that you feel about Marilyn Manson. We look forward to hearing it. And that is all I have. And that leaves it for you. All right, we'll be waiting to hear from you, beautiful people. (laughs) (laughs) No, you didn't. No, he didn't. (laughs) Uh, Just, just tell us. Just write to us in an orderly fashion. Don't make a mob scene or anything. You know. And you know what? This is a dope show. Dope show. This is a dope show. There you go. That's right. (laughs) Oh no. Sweet dreams, in fact, are made of this. They are made of this. And that only leaves me to wrap this puppy up in a little blanket. Uh, The next Birds of a Feather show air date is scheduled for July 17th on whatever platforms there may be. Our website or Spreaker or Spotify or Apple are also available. All right, and there are other shows. In addition to the ones we talked about before, because we are playing artists or playing artists who are working with artists, there's only one we missed. Octane. You can listen to the Surge Master Session Summer Special Part 1 and Part 2. Excellent, excellent uh, mixes by Octane that are out now as well as, uh, who knows, a thousand other things, too. And uh, speaking of Octane, uh, there's something in the offing. Please tell us, dear. Well, I had the good fortune of working with Octane on a song called Euphoria, Here It Comes Again. Uh, So it was a very exciting collaboration that was recommended by you, my dear friend. And um, it actually gets released on the 4th of July. You can listen to a preview on Octane's site, but it will be released everywhere on the 4th of July. 
and it's so freaking cool, man. Especially if you're what, if you're an old fossil like me, it reminds you of the '70s. It's just beautiful, beautiful uh, dance tune. Uh, with uh, lyrics by Christina and vocals and uh, Octane's music uh, how can we go wrong I knew it was going to be great I knew that's why I got them together <laughs> All right, you musical matchmaker you that's going to be something it's going to be something the day after this show airs you get to hear that too you lucky bastards lucky uh, lucky man shit okay now that only leaves you to say let's get the flock out of here <laughs> This has been Birds of a Feather on Fusion Music Radio.